Peter said, but, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we looked at that and we looked at growing in grace, there were some really challenging messages in that series. It was four weeks actually on grace. And some of those messages were extremely challenging for us to live up to. And uh, some messages are very demanding and some are challenging and some are encouraging. Uh, And Today we get to the ones that are encouraging. So that was the thing. For a month we looked at growing grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, to Him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Now I want you to stop right there for just a moment. Okay? There's a verse in there. I mean, there's a word in there that we just kind of skip over, right? To Him be the glory, both and forever. Let's try that one more time. Ready? For him be the glory both and forever. All right. What could go on in your heart right now that would bring glory to God? To him be glory both now and forever. Before church, Savannah was up here playing the piano and smiling and singing. And I walked up to her and I said, Hey, this is a serious church. What's with all this smiling? You know what? What do you think she did? She smiled bigger. What a rebellious child. You you know, listen, we're going to practice, all right? You guys ready for this? We're going to practice. I want everybody to smile, all right? I know this may hurt some of you. Just give it a shot, okay? Give it a shot. Give it a Get a smile. All right, a smile. We have some happy things we're going to be talking about today, some joyous things. In in fact, uh, we're going to start with this next picture. Five big blessings in my life. I want you to smile like this guy, okay? Maybe. Not going to work? All right. Uh, Occasionally, I understand. Jeff's working on his smile. So... uh, this guy's face is all up. Five big blessings. Now, we're not going to cover all five today. Just too much ground to cover. But we're going to look at five big blessings. And this is not just, you know, how was your day? Oh, it was good. You know, I drove home. I didn't get a speeding ticket. Didn't get in an accident. Didn't have a flat tire. No, this is big. This is big stuff. Big, huge blessings that God has given to all of us. Now, I use the phrase... Five big blessings in my life. Aren't you glad it's not five big blessings in the life of Terry Green? This is five big blessings in your life too. Five big blessings that we all who know Christ, who love Christ, we all can enjoy uh, knowing him and appreciating him. And the first of these big blessings is that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Now, you may be here this morning and you have not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You haven't asked Him to forgive your sins. You haven't received the gift of salvation for him, from Him. And you need to do that. Uh, Psalm 32.1 says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I think that's on the cover of your bulletin. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. All right, now let's back up and let's see that smile face I want him to see. There you go. I want you to smile like that guy, okay? All right. That's a picture of Joel before he's combed his hair down in the morning. So, <laughs> All right. 
so the first of these big blessings, Jesus Christ is my Savior. Look at the, the most common, most known verses in the Bible, John 3, 16, and we'll also look at 17. So turn in your Bibles to John 3, 16. We're going to look at four different passages this morning and see some big, huge blessings that God has in our lives. And I'll be reading those. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, I'll read those for, for you so you'll get to hear them. Uh, but if you have a Bible, look them up so you can see them because this is God's Word and it's good to remind yourself this is not just what the preacher said. Uh, this is what God said. All right, John 3, verse 16. Uh, Jesus said, For God so loved the world. Well, what does that mean? Well, who's the world he's talking about? Yeah, every person, people. He didn't fall in love with dirt. I love swirl cactus, don't you? He didn't fall in love with cactus or cacti. Or uh, he, God so loved the people of the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. All right, now look at verse 17 again. Why did God send his son into the world? Not to do something. What was that? But to save. All right, now, who has been given the ministry of Christ in this generation? All of us. His church, his believers, who has been given the ministry of Christ? All of us. So what does he want us to go into this world? Not, not to condemn the world, but the world that the world through him might be saved. There's a lot of Christians seem really focused on condemning the world. And let me tell you, there's some big problems in our world. But our job is to help save them to reach them for Christ. So let's just pause at these verses, and I want to think of four big ideas from this. Number one, I am loved. I am loved. Now, I am very blessed to have a big family. I came from a big family. There were uh, six kids in our family when I was growing up, five kids in our family, and Kathy and I as adults. So I came from a big family. I have a relatively big family. And uh, Nathan, right now in their house, there's 10 people in his house this weekend because he has foster kids and siblings of foster kids and all kinds of stuff going on. And, and you know, around the table was this big, rowdy, fun thing. And, you know, all my life I knew I was loved. My mother-in-law grew up in a smaller home. My mother-in-law never heard someone say, I love you, until my father-in-law said it to her when they were dating as adults, never heard the words. So whether you come from a family where I love you and hugs are the normal thing, or whether you come from a family where nobody says those words, you are loved. God so loved the world. 
He loved you so much, he had to do something about it. This wasn't just, oh, you know, I love pizza, but I don't eat it. No, I love you, so I'm going to do something about you. And he loved the world so much, loved you so much, he met the greatest need you could ever have in your life, made it possible for you to be saved. I am loved. Second big thought here is, I am called. I am called. In John 6, the Father calls you to salvation. He brings you, calls you to Him. He doesn't just say, you know, I love you so much, I'm going to die for you, and I'm going to leave you out there, and I'm going to hope that maybe someday you'll get it and figure out how to find me. He calls you. You know, you know those three favorite words husbands love to hear their wives say? Those three words that mean so much, that stir the soul, that encourage them. Dinner is ready. Is that not what you were waiting for? I remember mom would throw open the back door and bell her. And she'd yell for us kids because we'd be out, you know. And my mom was five foot two, tiny little thing, uh, never weighed 100 pounds except when she was pregnant. And she had the voice of a foghorn when she wanted to get your attention. She would call us home for dinner. Do you know someday? I mean, you were called to salvation, but someday the Lord's going to call you home, home, permanent home with him. He calls us. He wants us to be part of his. He's picking teams, and he picked you. He wanted you on his team. You are called. You are loved. Thirdly, You are forgiven. He calls us and he forgives us that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, there's some foods that you can leave sitting out forever, right? They are non-destructible, non-disposable. Even if you eat them, they don't really break down very well, like Twinkies, you know. I mean, Twinkies will be around a 1,000 years from now. If you find one, you could eat it. You wouldn't notice the difference probably. Uh, but, But there are some foods called perishables. And after dinner, when we were kids, Dad would always say, put away the perishables. Put those away first. And then take care of all the other stuff. Why? Because it could perish. What happens when things perish? When food perishes, what happens? Yeah, it gets rotten. It smells. It decays, you know. You open your fridge and you say, oh, there's rotten food in there. You don't see a banana holding a gun on an orange. You know, it's, it's the rotten food is this rotten smell. It's awful. It stinks. And, and, (laughs) you know, we have this thing in our house, you know. Do you think it's good? Do you think it's bad? Who's going to smell it? You know, and, and, and so you open it up. And have you ever had one that was really bad? And you pop open the top and you think, if I hadn't paid so much money for this piece of plastic, I'd just throw the whole thing out, right? Oh, man. And, and that's, that's that perishing food. I served as a chaplain with the Department of Public Safety for eight years. Health reasons, I had to stop. But uh, as I served with that chaplain, as a chaplain, as a volunteer chaplain, but I was out on the road in a lot of accidents, and I saw a lot of people who had perished. They had died in the accident or immediately after the accident. I had a ministry to those who were dying and to those who had lived. And once, once they're dead, I don't have a ministry to them because they're either with the Lord or not, depending on whether they received Christ or not. 
But, you know, it's just, just a really cool thing to be on the scene where somebody's in bad shape and you're working to keep them alive and then the EMTs get there and the EMTs take them off and they stick them in a helicopter and they fly them away and three days later you get to see them in a hospital and they're sitting up in bed and they say, thank you. Thank you for saving me. Someday, you're going to get to stand in front of Jesus Christ and say, thank you for saving me. And he didn't just save you from death on earth. He saved you from death in hell. You were a child of Satan. You were a child of hell. And he made you a child of God and a child of heaven. You were in darkness. Now you're in the light. You were hopeless. And now you have the greatest hope beyond life. You are forgiven in Christ. And honestly, to tell you the truth, the the sweetest words my wife ever says to me is, I forgive you. Not dinner's ready. Not even I love you. I forgive you. It doesn't mean, I know, I, I didn't notice you did something wrong. It means I knew it, and it's covered under the blood of Jesus Christ. You are forgiven. Now, hey, you know, some of you are really nice people. Some of you were nice before you got saved. Some people aren't so nice before they get saved. But they're still forgiven in Christ. He saves to the uttermost. When he forgives, he forgives all sin. And then, not just are you forgiven, but you are accepted. I am accepted. You know, Jim Ree's family, they used to like adopt people into the family. And by the way, Jim's not doing very well. He's up in rehab trying to get the strength to be able to come back home. He's been in the hospital a couple times in the last few weeks, and, uh, but he's in rehab up, up in Chandler now because it's right across from the hospital, and so that works out better, even though it's more difficult for Jerry. But pray for them. But Jim and Jerry, they used to uh, just bring people into their family. And, and when we moved here, we got adopted into their family, and he would use that Borg phrase, you have been assimilated. You, you're, you're brought into the family, man. And, uh, and Jim is my brother in the Lord and, and my brother in life and and because uh, we've been brought into the family. And there's a joy in being accepted, isn't there? Isn't there? You, you've been the odd person out, haven't you? There have been times when you think, I, I just don't fit in. And to be honest with you, in our world, there's a lot of times I feel like I don't fit in. I don't feel it, fit in with the hyper-fundamentalists who are angry at everyone who's ever sinned. I don't fit in with the uh, loving evangelicals who pretend sin doesn't really exist. I don't fit in with the people who love the things of this world because there's a lot of things of this world that I hate, and so does the Lord. But, but some, you know, in the Lord, I, I fit in. I'm accepted. You're accepted. And, you know, sometimes people have peculiarities. God knows your peculiarities and loves you anyway. You are accepted. God so loved the world. God sent his son into the world 
not to condemn the world, but so the world should, through him could be saved, so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And I know I mixed those two verses together, and I did it on purpose. But we are accepted because Jesus Christ is my Savior. Now, some, some days are painful days, right? I, and some days you wake up hurting so bad you're not sure you can make it out of bed. So you young kids are like, what is he talking about? Give it time. You'll get there, okay? And, and then some days are emotionally, just physically, you're fine. People will say, hey, what's wrong? And not that you're not running a fever, you don't have an ache, things are going well, you're eating well, you're healthy, you're, but your heart is breaking. And so, so, so you just have this emotional distress. And I got to tell you, that whoever made that silly song, Sticks and Stones May Break My Bones, But Names Will Never Hurt Me, emotional pain is way more painful than physical pain. I've unfortunately had a lot of both. And uh, emotional pain is way, way, way more painful than physical pain. But listen, here's the next big blessing in your life. I know I can trust the Lord even when life hurts. Even when life hurts. Where do you think I want you to turn in your Bible on this one? <laughs> yeah, we could go through the whole book of Job, but let's do a shortcut. Let's go to Romans 8. We'll go to the conclusion that Job came to. Romans 8, about two-thirds of the way through the chapter. (coughs) Romans 8 and verse 28. And we, what's the next word? No. What does that mean? We understand this and we experience this. And we know that, how many things? All things work together for good. Now, a couple of things in there. All things work together for good. It's like the old country preacher got up and he said, I don't like baking soda. I don't like grease. I don't like flour. But when my wife puts all those together and does her homemade biscuits, man, I loves it. It all works together for good. I mean, if you if you ever eat baking chocolate, ugh, I, I found that out when I was a kid. Baking chocolate is not a treat. And, and, but when it works together for good, you get some delicious fudge brownies that my mom used to make. And we know that all things work together for good for everybody. Is that what it says? No, no, it doesn't. It says, for to those who are the called according to his purpose. Remember, we said you are called. To those who are called to salvation, those who are called to him according to his purpose. So I left out one little phrase. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are 
the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestinated to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God has called us to salvation. He's called us into his family. He's called us to serve him and to minister to him. And he wants us to be conformed to the image of his Son. What is the image of his son? He wants us to be conformed, to become more like the glorious Jesus Christ. We want to be more like Jesus when he was walking on the water, right? Wouldn't that be cool? Moon walking on the water, maybe. And we want to be more like Jesus when he was feeding the 5,000. When he was raising the dead, man, I have no idea how many funerals I participated in, but I would love to stop the procession, pull out the hearse, and lift up the body and have them walk and talk. That would be so cool. Can't do that. So he wants you not to be conformed into Jesus doing these spectacular things that you and I can't do, but to be conformed to Jesus who suffered and sacrificed and served. He wants us to become like that, Jesus. And so here's something that helps me on these days when life really hurts. His pain for me was far greater than my pain will ever be. The wrath of God was poured out on him on the cross for you. It's not just like God said, you know what? I'm not going to hold your sins against you. Come here, I love you. God is a just God and a loving God. And he so loved the world that he and God the Father and God the Son in eternity past before creation said, we're going to create a people and we're going to give them freedom and we want them to choose to love and follow us, but we're going to give them the opportunity not to, but we're not going to leave them in condemnation. We're going to provide a way of salvation. And the Son, God the Son, Jesus the Christ, was willing to pay the penalty for our sins. And so God the Father did the most difficult thing in all of creation, He allowed his wrath to be poured out on his son so that you could be saved. So that he could forgive your sins. And the pain that Jesus endured was not the physical suffering, which was horrific. Can you imagine pounding nails? Some of you have carpal tunnel and other things, and, you know, and that, that's very painful. All the nerving dings of the hand go through this little channel in your ankle, and some are pretty small, like mine. It goes through this little channel in your ankle. <laughs> I'm put together a little funny, okay? goes through your wrist, and all those nerve endings from your hand go through the wrist. I'm glad I caught on while you were laughing. But, but they pounded the nails through there and through his feet, and and they pounded him into his head. I once was pulling lemons off a lemon tree and stood up too quickly, you know, those big, and it just gouged in there, and it just scarred it, and it got stuck in there and had to get pliers to pull it out. And, and, you know, that was nothing compared. They put it on him and then beat it with a stick. And what he endured physically was the easy part because then the wrath of God was poured out on him for our sins. And he suffered the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. 
He paid the penalty for your sin on the cross. And you know, there's some sins, let's be honest, there's some sins that you enjoy. Everybody enjoys overeating. It's a sin. Everybody enjoys telling a silly thing, picking on somebody sometime. And yet the Bible says we're getting out of account of every word. Some people enjoy gossiping. How many of you know somebody like that? Only raise your hand straight up. Don't point. How many of you know somebody like that? Yeah, yeah. they love gossiping. And my dad's church, where my dad used to be, he was in a church. It was a fairly big church. And my dad said the best way to let people know things in the church was not to make an announcement from the pulpit, but to tell this one woman. And if you told her, everybody would know. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's not Christmas, Jesus being born, celebrate the baby, the son of God. No, that's the suffering on the cross. He gave his son for that. God the Father's the only dad who wasn't mentally deranged in the history of the world, who had a son born and said, I am so eager to see him die a horrific death to save all those other people that I love. His pain for me was far greater than my pain will ever be. The agony on the cross. So when I'm having a bad day, I mean, honestly, my bad day looks pretty good compared to Paul's bad day, let alone Jesus' bad day. Secondly, he uses even the very plans of Satan to accomplish good in my life. I like this picture. It's a picture of a shadowed path, but the sun's shining in through some of the trees on the side and, and, and shining in there. And, and it's a, a path in the shadows, but the sun's coming in. Earlier in the service, uh, we had uh, scriptures read that uh, Ben read the scripture. Ben, you still got those verses? Yeah, just stand up and read them real loudly again, would you? Okay, real loudly. Both of them. Thank you. Sorry, I had both bends lined up and they both read scriptures, so <laughs> sorry. But it, yeah, the, 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 Satan was trying to attack Paul. And so God allowed Satan to give a thorn in the flesh. What was that thorn in the flesh? We don't know exactly. And I think the scriptures don't tell us on purpose because you have one and I have one and ours may be different than Paul's. And we might say, well, I wish mine was Paul's so I could get over it. No, in, in the difficulty God allows in your life, you need to know. And so Satan did his best to discourage Paul and it worked temporarily. 
And Paul cried out to God and said, God, forget, please take this away. Three times. And God said, my grace is sufficient. And so how does Paul conclude? Most gladly, I will rejoice in my infirmities, in my pain, in my emotional pain, in my physical pain. Gladly, because that pain is drawing me closer to Christ. That pain is accomplishing something spiritual in my life. He uses the very plans of Satan to accomplish good in my life. Is that not cool? I mean, the gates of hell cannot stand against you. He will not allow you to be overwhelmed. He will not allow you to be beaten down. And Satan can give it his best shot. And God gives you the grace and strength to handle it. And then, I know I can trust the Lord even when life hurts. Here's the third reason. He is Lord of all. You know, there's some people alive today who are very nervous because at any time an asteroid might hit the planet or a meteorite might hit the planet and cause them to die. And they're very, very nervous. I'm okay with that. This earth is temporary anyway, right? If you've read the scripture. He is Lord of all. Now, I don't, I don't want to make fun of people who have mental health issues, but some people have a fear of leaving their house. Right? I don't remember what's that called. Do you? Agoraphobia? I thought that was fear of spiders. Oh. Arachnophobia? I don't have many phobias. My fear of phobia is not having food, but that's my real phobia. All right, so some people have these, these fear. Uh, angoraphobia? Angoraphobia. They have a fear of leaving their house. Okay, please, bear with me. I don't mean to be offensive. It just comes naturally. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, don't, I don't mean to be offensive, but, but to a person who has that fear of leaving their house, you know, I, did you know an airplane engine could fall on your house? The other day, we saw in the news, a little engine, a plane came straight down in a house, just in a residential neighborhood. Bam, a little plane crashes into the house, destroys the house. Fortunately, the people were out of the house, but you know, you, you could have a stroke. You could have a heart attack. You can die of cancer hiding in your bathtub. You know, in, in fact, back east, I don't remember where, in the Midwest, but it's east for us, and there was a guy skydiving in a town, and he came out of the plane at 10,000 feet, and his chute didn't open up. Now, he wasn't very worried. He just cut the chute released it, pulled the emergency chute, it didn't open up. And the emergency chute came up, instead of this little puff to lower you to the earth, if you've been skydiving, it's pretty cool. Clarinda has, Jim has, I have. It's really fun. Let's do a group skydiving thing. That'd be great. Uh, and, and so he's coming down, and, and that, little, that little chute's not holding up, and it's just spinning around. Now, if you're in a, on ropes to a chute that's just spinning around, it doesn't slow you down. And he came crashing down into a grove of trees. And he hit the trees and he landed. 
He eventually made it to the ground, crashing through the trees. And he lived. He had two broken legs, a cracked pelvis, and a broken arm, and a concussion. And he lived. Same town, same weekend, somebody slipped in their bathtub, hit their head, and died. Now, I guarantee if we put you in a plane and opened the door and said we were going to push you out, some of you people would be like, Clorinda and I were like, woohoo, let's go. Yeah. And I, I also would practically guarantee that those people who have that horrid fear of stepping out of a plane in flight don't have anxiety when you step in the bathtub, at least not before now. <laughs> so listen, he's Lord of all. He's Lord of all. All my tomorrows... All my life, Jesus is Lord of all. All of the battles, all of the strife, all of the heartaches, all of the pain, all of the joys, all of the blessings, He is Lord of all. And so I know I can trust the Lord even when life hurts because He's still Lord. My pain does not diminish his rule. And that's a big blessing. So what was the first big blessing in your life? Yeah, Jesus Christ is my Savior. You can phrase it differently for you, that's okay. The second, let's read it together. I know I can trust the Lord even when life hurts. Here's the third one, we'll read it together too, okay? I belong in heaven and will get there as soon as my life on earth is over. I have watched a lot of people die. I mean, it's not fun. It's not a blessing, but I've seen it. I've held the hands of people dying in hospitals, in cars, in the back of an ambulance, on the side of the road. I was in the hospital when my brother came out of emergency surgery after getting hit by a car. And while he's in the hospital room, my dad and my sister-in-law and I are walking up to the room, his recovery room. He's just come out of emergency surgery, and he coded. And as we were walking in the door to the room, we had to back up and walk back out. And the room had an open door, it had an open window. My sister-in-law was in the middle of us, and a good thing. My dad was here looking in the one door, and I was here looking in the window. And I had a straight view of my brother's face. And my dad had a straight view of the guy sitting on my brother doing chest compressions. And I saw my brother's face just sag. At the same time, my dad saw the guy doing chest compressions look up and get eye contact with my dad and do this. Just small movement of his head. We knew it was over. My dad had just watched his son die. I had just watched my brother die. 
But you know what happens right at that moment? Kathy and I were in the room when my mom died, and Kathy reminded us all. It was, it was chaos. There was a lot of family there, and there was a lot of crying. You know, it's sadness. I mean, we love these people. There were times my brother drove me nuts. I still miss him. I didn't get the chance to drive him nuts enough, you know. Uh, but, but when people die at that exact moment, when you're there and you see it, you, you see, it's almost like the body deflates. It, it just sags down a little. And it's almost like you have just watched the soul and spirit leave the body. Now, I know we can't really see that, but that's what it feels like. And, and so I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and Paul gives us a description of it, what happens at that exact moment, okay? At that exact moment when someone dies, when they let out their last breath. And it's encouraging to know that's what's going to happen to me. I don't know how long I'll live. If I live to be like my grandpa, then I got a good 40 years ahead of me. If I live like my brother, I'm about 12 years overdue, you know. Uh, I don't know how long I have, but God does. And he knows how long you have. And he knows what's going to happen at that exact moment when he calls you home. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look with me in verse number 6. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, soul and spirit still here in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We're not in heaven with Jesus. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident. So he says, we're confident in verse 6. We're confident in verse 7. Yes, and well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now later on, or earlier actually, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, uh, in a moment of the twinkling of an eye, we're just instantly with the Lord. We're, we're with Him suddenly and forever. And, and so when we're in the body, we're absent from the Lord. When we're absent from the body, where are we? With the Lord. Absent, present. And, you know, people say, I had a dream. I was climbing up the stairway to heaven. There is no stairway to heaven. It's instant access. You're here, you're there. Boom, boom. In fact, when the rapture occurs and we get caught up in the clouds, if we're still alive when the rapture occurs, we're caught up in the clouds to be with the Lord, it's in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. How fast does it take for an eye to twinkle? Boom, you're here, you're there. I kind of wish it was slower motion, you know? So you get reverse free fall going up. Woo, look at that. But it's not. You're here, you're there. And my brother died here, there. My mother died. Here, there. Your friends died. Your spouse died. Your kids died. Here, there. there. There's no lag time. There's no wait time. There's no purgatory. There's no praying them into heaven, giving enough money to the church so maybe they can make it. There's nothing like that. You're here, you're there. If you have trusted Jesus Christ. Now, there's here, there if you haven't too. But that's the opposite direction. Instead of going up to be with the Lord, you go down to hell. 
And the Bible says there's a story Jesus told about a rich man and a guy named Lazarus. And the rich man died and he was instantly in the flames of hell. And by his own testimony, he was tormented in these flames. So you need to trust Christ as your Savior. Your body dies. Your soul and spirit are instantly, instantly, instantly with the Lord. Before the doctors know you're dead, you're already in heaven. So, here's a couple of really cool things that connect with this. My name is written down. We were singing that song earlier. There's a new name written down in heaven. Now, what if we have, hello, my name is in heaven? Do you think we'll have that? The Bible says God's going to give us a name. It'll be written on us, and it's God's special name. Maybe he has a special nickname for everybody. I have nicknames for everybody. Maybe God does that too. Um, but, but see, we, that song actually reverses the biblical truth. It says there's a new name written down in glory, and in the Bible it actually says it in reverse order. It's like God wants everybody to be saved, right? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But then there comes a time when people reject that God will blot their name out of the book of life. It's not that you can lose your salvation. It's that he wants you to be saved. But then if you don't trust Christ, he, he can't let you into heaven. And so he blots out your admission. But your name, if you've trusted Christ, then God has a book in heaven. What's the size of the book? I don't know. What's it look like? I don't know. Does he use all one color of ink? He might as well. It all looks the same to me. I don't know. But this I do know. My name is there. Because God put it there. And if you have trusted Jesus Christ, your name's written down. So on the great judgment day, and, and by the way, there, there's different judgments in the Bible. There's a judgment for believers, the great white throne judgment. I'm sorry, for believers, it's the judgment seat of Christ. And, and we're judged for our works and we're rewarded. But there's the great white throne judgment, which is sometimes called the great judgment. And that's when those who have not trusted Christ stand before the Lord and they acknowledge their sin and their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life and they're cast into the lake of fire. And, you know, the Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You need to do that in this life. Because if you wait till the life to come to do that, it's too late. You will confess him as Lord and then be cast into the lake of fire. But if you have received Christ as your Savior, you belong in heaven as soon as your life on earth is over. Because your name is written down. Secondly, your reservation is secure. My reservation is secure. I thought it was pretty cool. When I was in the Marine Corps, I became an admin chief. And for a while, I was an S1 chief, so I had an assigned parking space. And then a bigwig would come and so the colonel took the XO's parking space, and the XO took the CO's parking space, and the CO took my parking space, and I didn't get a reserve parking space. But when I became an admin chief for the battalion, 
then I could bump the S1 chief out of his parking space and I could still have one. It was cool to have a reserve parking space for my 79 Ford Pinto. Styling, man. Some days I didn't drive the Pinto. I drove my Kawasaki 175 on the California freeway, sounding kind of like, Anyway, let's look what 1 Peter says about our inheritance, our reservation. You know, here at church, I don't have a reserved spot, and I do that on purpose. I know some churches have reserved for pastor. I want those close spaces to be reserved for those who really need it. For a while, that was pastor, and I had a temporary handicap plate. Thankfully, I've gotten beyond that. But uh, my reservation in heaven is secure. And let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll just begin in verse 3. We'll read a couple of verses here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, look, I know we're Baptists, all right, but could you all say a little amen on that one? Wow. Look at verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible. What does that mean? We were talking about food that decays. Your inheritance cannot break down. Sometimes people will inherit a house, and they go, and the house is falling apart. Now, we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. Sin has never entered there. I bear scars in my body from stupid things I did when I was young. And and you bear scars in your heart from stupid sins you've done in your body. But they won't be there. Undefiled. And that does not fade away. It is bright and shiny and full forever reserved in heaven for you. How about another little amen in there? Isn't that great? It gets better. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And we'll just do this first phrase of verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice. What does greatly rejoicing look like? You know, I watched a football game yesterday. I watched Baylor play Oklahoma. Was it Oklahoma? OU? You know, I watched Baylor play OU. And Kathy was kind of cheering for Baylor, and I was kind of cheering for OU. And for most of the game, she was cheering louder. And at the very end, OU came from behind, and they won. And there were people in the stands And they had watched their team. They were way, way, way behind. First quarter, second quarter, third quarter. They started coming back, and they were getting excited, you know. And when OU finally won the game, you know what they did? They did just what you guys did. Yay. That that was neat. Oh, yay. Is that what they did? Man, they were spitting all over themselves. Yeah! You know, these normal people acting like lunatics who just got hopped up on some weird thing they'd inhaled. And they were just giddy with joy (laughs) over a football game. Right? We're talking about reserved in heaven 
for you forever. Hey, we do this in Trek on Thursday night. Trekkers, let's show them what it's like, okay? Ready? Let's give a whoop. Woo! You ought to try that sometime. It's good for the soul. But, but you can't do it on Thursday nights unless you're in Trek. All right. Here's the last idea from this. My Lord will welcome me home. My Lord will welcome me home. The first time I went to Cuba, I had never been out of the United States, except to Canada and Mexico. I'd never flown on an airplane over the ocean other than, you know, the Gulf of Mexico flying to Florida. I wasn't nervous about flying, but I was a little nervous going into a communist country. And I was going to be away from home for a long stretch. I was gone for two and a half weeks that first time I went into Cuba. And I was really eager to get back home. And I got back home, and I got off the plane, and I came out, and there was Kathy. And there were all the kids. And Kathy just ran up and gave me a bear hug and a big smooch. I like those. And she welcomed me home. Now, I just have this idea that in heaven, I'm going to be able to get a bear hug from Jesus. And he's going to welcome us home. And it's not just home where things break down and potholes are in the streets and home that needs constant maintenance update. I have to keep hiring Tim Martinez to fix the things that break. No, this is, this is home that thrives forever. You know, of all the people on planet Earth, believers should have the biggest smile on their face. But you know what's happened? We've, we've pulled a Peter. We've taken our eyes off the Lord We've started looking at the circumstances. And as Peter was walking on the water toward Jesus, he started looking at the storm. He started looking at the problems on planet Earth. And he started getting distracted. And he started to sink. And he cried out to the Lord. And if he'd kept his eyes on the Lord, he could have walked all the way to Jesus on the water. We need to keep our eyes on the Lord. The days are dark and drear. But our Lord is near. We, we have big reasons. Let's go back to that first picture of that smiling guy. Five big reasons. We'll look at a couple more next week. Don't worry, I'm not going to keep going. But five big blessings in my life. Big blessings. You ought to walk down the street as the, you ought to be known as the happiest people people know. Why? Because you're goofy? No. Because you're forgiven. Because you belong in heaven. And because someday you'll be there. Isn't God good? We walk with God in the land of the living. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But we don't fall into his hands. He calls us because we have received Christ as Savior.